I'm Alan Hall, host of the Uptime Wind Energy Podcast. Wind turbine icing is a massive problem. Most wind turbines in the U.S. and Northern Europe are installed in locations that are susceptible to icing. And yet, a significant number of the wind turbines do not have any de-icing system. Our guest today is Aaron Dupuy, Director of Marketing at Phase Break Coatings. And Phase Break Coatings produces Nine Ice, the ice coating that is being used on wind turbines to keep them humming during icing conditions. The coating contains microscopic phase change materials that absorb heat from the liquid water as it freezes. This heat prevents the water from freezing solid and the ice does not form easily and it sheds off the surface. I'm really interested in learning more about phase break during this podcast. Aaron, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Alan. I really appreciate it. So we all know from the icing events that happened in Texas, because that's a very noticeable event that obviously Texas does not have de-icing systems on the wind turbine blades as they readily admit. And why, and why would they, honestly? Why would they? You wouldn't expect you'd need it. No, you, you shouldn't really need it. It's what's once every hundred years they may have an ice storm, but they've had two ice storms in about a five-year period. So it, it is actually a lot more common than we thought. And that left to hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars lost and deaths and all kinds of horrible things happened there. That that drove the industry to change a little bit, right? So we're we're now seeing some more interest in how do I protect these wind turbines that don't have a de-icing system? We were lucky enough at the time to have just coated half the turbines on a farm in Oklahoma. We had 50 coated and 50 uncoated in Oklahoma during that same Valentine's uh, weekend winter storm. And we, what we ended up seeing, uh, our customer gave us data back and we saw a 109% improvement in the coated turbines over the uncoated. And many of them kept turning and came back online earlier than the uncoated uh, varieties. Um, and again, so, you know, Oklahoma, Texas, these aren't really the first things you think of when you think, where do I need to put de-icing, right? You're thinking North Dakota, South Dakota. We've been up there. But actually, some of our first and frankly, to our customers, most important installations have been in that kind of Midwestern, middle of America band there. It's not really icing so much as the amount of power lost, right? I mean, we're becoming really dependent upon wind turbines producing power, uh, like 60% of the power in Iowa is from wind turbines. So it's really critical. They keep spinning. And the, the icing itself... If you talk to operators, they're not super concerned about the icing. They're concerned about the consistency of the turbine spinning and making sure that they stay on light as long as they possibly can. Because some of the wind turbines have a situation where any sort of ice, so just, you know, they, they take the, the safest assumption and just shut it down. And that's probably not the right model going forward. No, it's it's not a sustainable model, especially when, as you say, states are increasingly and people living there are increasingly depending on this power to keep keep themselves warm, you know, keep the lights on at the most critical times during these winter storms. The auto shutdown or the manual shutdowns, they, they aren't a solution and it's not a sustainable solution monetarily or to take care of the communities that we're trying to serve. So when we look at those issues, that that is kind of what, you know, we initially thought this coding would be in use in the aeronautics sector. And then we were seeing these issues crop up more and more and we thought, oh, well, this could be an application. And then through our testing and our application process, we found that it, it does help. And in fact, the coding works better if you don't do those auto shutdowns. It's actually 
the movement of the blades actually encourages it works with the nine ice coating to encourage the ice not to form so it's that we actually tell our customers you know it's actually kind of crucial that you you know you deactivate those auto shutdowns and you will see these improvements in revenue power output everything since you've done some deployments early on like during this massive ice storm down in texas and oklahoma i i'm assuming you've uh, branched out to other parts of the world what what are you hearing from the, the europe's and those kind of places where icing is pretty common uh we're seeing we're seeing good results out there we're seeing repeat customers which of course we always like to see uh we just did an application out in france um we've done some in sweden and norway even an italy application northern italy and we are partnering with aerons obviously in, in out of latvia and we're working on a coding manufacturer and distributor in Germany to try to help that grow and hopefully start getting some some real hard data out of those places. Let's let's talk about how face break coatings are applied, the nine eyes coating is applied and, and sort of what it is. I, I've seen some really interesting YouTube videos you guys have produced. I've seen some things from Marones where they're doing robot applications, but can you just explain generally sort of what the material is, kind of what it, what it feels like, how is it applied, what's the common situation there? Yeah, so it comes in a three-part gallon kit, and it is mixed by the applicator on the ground, on platform. We've had rope access done or in the Aeron's robot. Yeah, our, our recent application tutorial video we released to help customers that might want to use their own teams without our application team coming out to apply the product. And so basically it's it's a matter of mixing the materials, stirring them together in the right order. But really at the end of the day, once it's properly mixed and you've prepared the blade, like you're painting a house, basically you take painter's tape and you mask out the area on the leading edge. That's where you're usually focusing. Make sure you get a nice thin, even layer. It goes on as thin as a, a piece of paper. And you just you just paint it on like you would uh, the walls of your nursery. Is there any prep that needs to be done to the blade before the coating is applied? Yes. So you would want to clean it down with a denatured alcohol. It's generally what we recommend. It's it's just a light cleaning. If there's dirt or anything that's kind of embedded, you know, sometimes uh, the delivery companies let the or the uh, OEMs let the blade sit on the ground and dirt builds up on the bottom half that's been in contact with the ground, you might want to take a sander to that or something, you know, not, nothing too extreme, but just get a clean surface so that the coating can really bind to that. Get the blades clean, mask them off, and then you're applying the coating with a, a roller or a brush? Uh, yes, so you can just take your run-of-the-mill Home Depot 3-8-inch nap roller and put it on a pole However, you can access the blade best. In our example video that we put on YouTube, our applicator used a, just a step ladder to get up to the top parts of the blade. And you go all the way down, avoiding any sensors or lightning protection units, anything like that you might have. We don't want to interfere with that, but they can work in tandem together. And yeah, you just roll it on. A spray is also an option. Spraying is also an option, but it may use more material. So it's really just... It's the preference of the operator and the applicator. Where is it applied on the blade? I, I know you, you said the leading edge, but how far down, how, how close to the hub do you, go? do you go? Do you go all the way down to the hub? We don't go all the way down to the hub. We leave about the last 15 to 20% of the blade. That makes a, a lot of sense, you know, apply the material where icing is most likely to accrue. 
Does is there if there's damage to the blade, blades in service, most of them have some sort some sort of leading edge erosion. Do you recommend that that gets cleaned up before you start putting nine ice down? Yes, and this is where Aaron's becomes our our best friend and the operator's best friend because the Aaron's robot is specifically designed to be able to do that type of reparative maintenance on the blade, and then very quickly go back out with our coating loaded into it and then quickly coat it can uh, coat the whole blade in, in seven minutes with our product so it's very easy to do that maintenance and then follow up with the coating very quickly on the same day all right and is there any length of time that the coating has to dry before it gets hit by ice or anything else yeah, well so we have to apply the coating in temperatures above zero degrees celsius 32 degrees fahrenheit i can't be raining so we need a dry climate, but uh, it needs at least 24 hours to cure is what we recommend before you start running the blade again, just to make sure it has that full cure time and hardens. And once it, it, once it does harden, it is just this shiny shellac that you can hardly even scratch with your fingernail. It's, it's very sleek. I, I've seen some pictures of your material, I think maybe with the next era, where the, the color was a light, like a light blue. Is, is it tinted so you can see it? So that is by request, and we do that without any extra charge. So our dye is an option that we started doing with Nextera because they wanted an easier way to monitor the coating because it goes on completely clear. You'd hardly be able to tell it was there. So when we add that blue dye, it makes it easier for drone-based inspection. You know, a camera, no matter how good it is, is not as powerful as the human eye at detecting those minute things. So we just thought, you know, we worked out a system where it makes it a lot easier to detect. Inspecting the material is really critical, I assume. You, you want to make sure the coating is still in place. Blades get beat up all the time, right? Leading edge erosion is a thing, but blades get abused. And does so the coating need to be reapplied over time? What's the thought there? Yes. So actually, we just this week, we got some information back from one of our customers from two different wind farms, one in North Dakota, one in Iowa, that kind of laid out how the coating performs over time. We specifically focused on icing events. So in our North Dakota example, the first year that it, after it was applied, it had a 45% power output improvement over the uncoated blades during icing events. The second year, 30%. The third year, 20%. And the fourth year, 0%. So that shows that it deteriorated over a period of about four years. And then in Iowa, as you said, very important, 60% of the energy in that state. First year, 25%, second year, 20%, third year, 10%, fourth, zero. So we're able to confidently say that, yes, after about three years, and of course, these are both places that are getting buffeted by rain, wind, ice, snow. So it might perform for much longer in a place like in Oklahoma, a Texas um, we can't say for sure, but um, if you have severe events, then we would say to reapply every three to four years is about time to do it. Well, that seems quite reasonable because that's when you're going to fix leading edge erosion roughly every three years if you're on top of it. Uh, that that would make sense. So the the coating itself, once it's applied, how how then does it work to keep ice from accruing to the point where the turbine shuts down? What What's the magic there? It's hydrophobic on a basic level, and it's ice phobic, again, through those phase change materials that 
interact kind of in the same way, actually exactly in the same way as an icy hot patch or one of those, you know, your hand warmer that you crack and then you put in your pocket. That is also a type of phase change material. This particular one, instead of that cracking action to activate it, it's actually activated by water. So when that comes into contact, the molecules interact in a way that actually heats up the material just enough that it does not want the ice to adhere to it. And again, it's a silicone base. And as we all know, silicone is not the most easy thing to stand on or grab onto in the world. So it has these natural properties. And again, so between those two elements, it just molecularly and through that heat that is generated, it it doesn't let the ice really start to form. And once it starts getting too large and starting that that real thick rime ice, it kind of naturally just wants to slough off. So as the ice starts falling off, then you regain all that power back, right? That's, that's the thought. Exactly. And that's also why you see them recovering, turbines recovering much faster as things begin to heat up, as the storm lets up a bit, then the, un- the coated blades are much faster to go through that recovery period of sloughing the ice off and getting back to pre-event levels. Addressing the sort of the SCADA operational side of this, are, are any changes needed to, to to get the power back out of the turbine, or, or does that need to, anything need to be done there uh, to keep the turbines running? Yes, we encourage people to reset that system so that the auto shutdown is less sensitive. You know, we don't don't push it to the point where you might be damaging your blade, of course, but to Dial that back a bit so that the blade can keep turning for a bit longer and encourage that sloughing action that I've been talking about. And, you know, even if an operator isn't comfortable with that, again, you're getting earlier recovery times, you're getting less ice formation early in the event. So you are still going to see an increase in time, uptime, over the course of the event. And I would say, you know, our theory is, If you're asking somebody, would you rather your turbine be off the whole time or be on for two hours longer? I think most people are going to choose the two hours longer. Oh, sure. Sure. And so the rotation is really a critical piece of this. You don't want to put nine ice on and then stop the blades and then think that the ice is just going to fall off. That's not the point. The, 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 The engineering design is such that it needs to continue to spin to get the ice to come off. Correct. And you're still going to see, you're always still going to see some ice formation to a degree. I mean, in these storms, again, our slogan is ice mitigation uh, instead of ice removal. We don't like to use the word prevention because we're not preventing the ice. That's a force of nature. You can't really control that. Yeah. And what we're seeing on a more global scale is in places where they know they have a significant amount of downtime and a significant amount of ice, those are sort of preordained to have a de-icing system on them. It's it's the vast majority that don't that are running into this icing situation a lot more than the projections, right? So before wind turbines are installed, there's an environmental analysis done, and they they kind of predict the number of days or hours that the turbines are likely to be down. It's sort of like a five percent point. If it's more than five percent, the icing systems go on. But a lot of the projections are like maybe a percent of the time, two percent of the time. But those are still productive power times that they're missing, which makes sense to to put on a coating like yours. Exactly. And and we always like to point out that those de-icing systems, so we've talked a lot about people who don't have any, even a, a heated or a vibrating blade, I mean, our, our coating can go on top of the blade. It's not going to interfere with those systems. They can work in tandem and you could see an even further increase in power output and protection of your wind assets. 
Okay, that's an that's an interesting approach. So even for blades that do have de-icing systems and heating systems on them, they still accrue some ice, right? If you watch them, there are places where ice does stick. It's really hard to get uh, a heater out towards the tip necessarily. So putting this coating on would help at least alleviate some of those issues, right? Correct. So the deployment of this is is starting to get a little bit worldwide. And you're, you're, you've, you've done a significant part of the United States at this point, I assume, and you're into Europe. Is there any other places in the world that you're, you're starting to apply nine ice to? So we've had a, a lot of interest in Turkey. We've applied in, in, in China before. Actually, some interest in places like India and even Northern Africa, where people are asking, can this keep dust off? And can this keep, you know, grime and things from building up? Because that's a huge issue out there. And so we have actually applied and they found that with the hydrophobic qualities that they've also become self-cleaning to a large degree. So when you get a light rain, it washes all that stuff off just naturally. And even just with the movement and its its very slick surface that it creates, it is discouraging dust and debris from from clinging to those blades and that thus in, improving the aerodynamics. I have seen pictures from various parts of the world where they burn the fields. Like we used to here in the States quite often. I think we still do a little bit. And the soot from that just covers the blades. It's amazing how dirty a blade can get. And that soot is sticky and it is really hard to get off. So putting a coating like this on would essentially prevent some of that soot, debris, stickiness from sticking on to the most important part of the blade, right? That's the idea that these operators had. And so they brought us to parts of the world that we never expected to be in. So this is quite the adventure then. There's, it seems like there's more applications for this coding as we go along. And uh, can we, I want I just want to just talk about the Arons piece for a minute, because I, I know in our business, which is a lightning protection business, being on the blade and the amount of time we're on a blade is really critical, right? It's, it's downtime. How has the Arons robotic application piece helped speed up the application time and to, to get the wind turbine back running again? Well, two of the critical elements are that the actual wind speeds and weather conditions that the Arons robot can, can work under are, you know, there's a far wider range of conditions that that robot can work under than, than manned crews. So in instances where you'd have to tell a platform or rope crew that you have to come down right now and you lose two, three days because of, you know, winds hitting too high of a speed, that Aaron's robot can go right up there. The other advantage is that, you know, as it's a robot, they, they mount it on the blade the same exact way every time. And then an operator in a van down on the ground just guides it along so you're also getting a consistency and a that a consistency and a with the human element so kind of the best of both worlds where if anything goes wrong that human can step in and, and make the necessary adjustments but that element of consistency is huge and then finally the robot itself doesn't have the issues that human does with the pot life so our product has about a one hour pot life. So that can really be a critical thing when you're doing rope access, doing platform. Not so much on the ground. It's it's much easier to move around and, and control for that. Aaron's robot mixes everything right inside of it. And so you are guaranteed the, the, the best 
consistency of the product, a proper mix every time, and then it just applies it within seven minutes. So you're not worrying about, you know, wasting any material and you're guaranteed that you're not wasting time mixing the product and waiting for it to react. That's all already happening. Well, Aaron, this has been really interesting. I've learned a tremendous amount of, about Nine Ice and Phase Break. And how do people reach out to you? How do they how do they find you? Okay, well, they can find us at phasebreak.com. That's P-H-A-Z-E-B-R-E-A-K.com. They can always find us on LinkedIn under Phase Break Coatings. And they can reach us at info at phasebreak.com. Or better yet, reach out to Dave Rupp our sales guy. I really recommend reaching out to him. He's very knowledgeable, very kind man. So he's Dave.Rupp, R-U-P-P at phasebreak.com. So those are the best ways to reach us. Absolutely. Thanks for being on the program, Aaron. And and uh, I'd love to hear more about Phasebreak as things continue on. So we'd love to have you back sometime. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's been my pleasure, Alan. <laughs> 